Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to Episode 10 of The Snyder Cut. I made it to 10. I haven't been canceled. What a busy week. I mean, seriously, guys, this show is going to be stacked. We've got Spider-Man, Batman, Star Wars, Uncharted, Will Smith, friggin' Will Ferrell, Jason Bateman, Irishman, Clint Eastwood. It's endless. This is going to be an incredible show, but I got to start, let's see, uh, let's start with Emmy Night. Uh, So I went out on Emmy Night to the HBO after party. Those guys are always good to to give me a home uh, to party uh, after the Globes or... The Emmys, and I took my friend Frankie Lindquist, uh, who, who is a producer in town. Uh, I've known her for a long, long time. She's a little social butterfly, and she's great at these kinds of events. And we had an amazing time. Uh, I got in there. I saw my, my buddy Wayne Fetterman, who I play basketball with on the weekends. Uh, he's been in a ton of comedy sort of stuff, and so we started talking to him and his agent. And then we ran into Beck Bennett from SNL, who I know from his USC days. Uh, when I first got to town, I was a, an intern at Blumhouse with this kid, John Darden, and John Darden lived with Beck Bennett at USC. Um, I think he lived with him, yeah, and uh, Chris Lowell uh, from Glow, he was part of that, and yeah, Beck was hanging out with, with Kyle, who's on SNL with him, and this kid, Nick Rutherford, they had Good Neighbor, so yeah, we were just sort of catching up, and I was catching up with, uh, or I met his wife, Jesse Hodges, who's on the second episode of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia this season, it's a great a, a classic episode of Always Sunny, really, read Vinny Mancuso's review on Collider.com. Uh, it's basically like a test screening type of thing. So, and she's like the moderator, and and she it's just her and the gang. So, anyways, we had a great time chatting. I met. Uh, I did not know that Zach Woods from from um, freaking Silicon Valley is dating Carly Ciartino, who is the host of Slut Ever on Viceland. Uh, what a, what an odd couple that is. But I got to meet her because I'm a big fan of her work. I was chilling next to Drake for a little while. Drake was at the HBO party. I think he was, I don't know, chilling with the Euphoria peeps. Um, yeah, it was. It, I was hanging with the Entourage producer, Rob Weiss, who, who does a lot of stuff with Ballers right now. It was a good time. A good time was had by all. Did some dancing, even though I rolled my ankle on Saturday playing basketball. Uh, yeah, went down hard, guys. Matt Nost. He's, he's tough out there. Um, so yeah, that, that was my, my Emmy night. And, and by the way, I bet on the Emmys. I I made some money, you know, like I bet on Fleabag. Like everybody was talking about Fleabag this year. Nobody was talking about Veep in its seventh season. People like what's hot, what's new. And so do award shows. And so I put a little money down on Phoebe Waller-Bridge on, uh, on, on Fleabag dethroning Veep, so to speak. And yeah, made out, uh, made out kind of nicely. Um, I was I was proud of my my Emmy showing. Um, the show, you know, itself is kind of irrelevant. I mean, it's only six million people are watching this thing, even though it has all your favorite stars, uh, which is just like it's just crazy. Like the Grammys get twenty million. I think the Globes get twelve million. I mean, the, for the Emmys to get half that audience when it like you know is honoring the best of television and, and Netflix and Amazon. That's that's wild to me. Uh, HBO and, and Netflix obviously did really well on Sunday night. Um, and, yeah, Billy Porter, it was great to see his speech. Like, I don't, I don't watch Pose, but I, I like this guy, and I like uh, his style. He was wearing this gigantic hat. It would be uh, look great on Roka. Um, oh, by the way, did you guys see that Terrence Howard interview? 
Like he is Looney Tunes. I don't know what planet he was on on the red carpet, but I wish uh, I wish I had whatever drugs he was smoking. Um, okay, let's get to the news. It was the week of shockers that weren't really shockers at all. <coughs> Excuse me. Sony and Disney. Sony and Disney have struck a deal wherein Marvel will produce Spider-Man 3. Another Spider-Man movie. Tom Holland is happy once again. I imagine that they will manage to get John Watts back for this one. And Tom Holland will ad- will appear in an additional MCU movie as part of this deal. I believe it was reported that Disney upped its stake from 5% to 25%. Before, yeah, they were only getting, you know, they were co-financing. I mean, it wasn't that they were co-financing. They were getting 5% of the, the receipts. They're already getting all the merch. Um, but, the, you know, they went to, to Sony and they asked for 50%. And that is an absurd number. And I understand why people thought Disney was greedy for asking for that, whether that's an accurate figure or not. Um, that's to be debated. But 50% it was always crazy. There's no way Sony would give up half of their stake in, in, you know, in their biggest franchise that they have, the biggest piece of IP, Spider-Man. But I did say that because... You know, the Spider-Man movie, the last one, clearly got like a bump. It, it, I think it broke a billion dollars, yeah. And and that was largely because of Spider-Man's ties to the MCU. So when you take out those ties, you know, th- that, that figure is going to come crashing back to Earth. So is it smarter to just, you know, have those MCU ties, appease the fans, break a billion dollars again? And sure, you have to give up a quarter of it, but it's better than keeping 95% of, I don't know, 500, 600 million, whatever it, whatever it would be. I forget where the Amazing Spider-Man movies topped out, probably around seven seven fifty. Um, so I think that this is a win for everybody. I think that this was inevitable. I've been saying this, you know, since it happened. Like it just didn't make any sense with all the money that that you know that could be made. That is what talks in this town. Money talks, bullshit walks, and it, it was never really a question that this deal was not going to work out. And I loved how like. You know, at the time, they're like, well, Kevin's too busy to produce an, a new movie. Like, was that real? Was that bullshit? I, I don't know. But, like, you know, obviously <laughs> obviously he is pretty busy because he's going to be producing another Star Wars movie. That is the other shocker of the week that wasn't. Like, everybody knows that Kevin Feige is a huge Star Wars guy. I mean, Kathleen Kennedy has struggled a little bit. With Star Wars, you know, their Star Wars and Lucasfilm, it's not that different from DC, really. Like, they're, they're kind of disorganized. They're announcing things. You know, things never get made. You know, they're developing a ton of stuff that just never sees the light of day. I, I just I don't know if they have a clear idea of where they want to go. Like, what was is, is Ryan Johnson's going to be next or Benioff and Weiss's movie going to be next? Or is this Kevin Feige thing next? Like. I, I, I just I feel like they are sort of grasping at straws right now, and Kevin is being brought in to to help them with that a little bit. Um, but yeah, not 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 a shocker at all. I feel like a lot of outlets had sort of heard about these rumors. Uh, who is the mystery actor that the Deadline or Hollywood Reporter, whoever it was, I think it was Hollywood Reporter, said that he was talk he had reached out to he had reached out to a major actor and said, "I've got a role for you in this Star Wars movie that I'm that I'm developing." Well, we don't know what the movie is, so we don't know whether he's reaching out to that major actor as a potential star of the movie or just I have a role for you in that movie. Uh, understandably, a lot of speculation was Robert Downey Jr. And I, you know what? I can actually see him in a Star Wars movie, particularly if he is done with the MCU. I think if you're Kevin Feige, you kind of have to start there. Like, 
would you even be in this position to produce a Star Wars movie if it wasn't for Robert Downey Jr. launching the MCU with Iron Man and being as good as he was as sort of a, a, a brand ambassador for Marvel as a steward you know, of that whole, that whole universe. Uh, so I think that, yeah, I th- yeah, you have to go to Robert. I imagine that that's who they were alluding to. But if it wasn't, well, there's, there's a whole lot of possibilities. I feel like Lucasfilm has to try to find a way to get Meryl Streep into their universe. Like, before Meryl goes off and does some Marvel or DC movie, like, if she's going to sell out and do a gigantic studio tentpole like that, and I'm not, you know, she's done tentpoles before, uh, or bi- or big movies based on IP. Remember, she was in The Giver not that long ago. That was a Weinstein Company movie. Obviously, not a two hundred million dollar movie, but still, um, that along that Hunger Games diversion type of line. Uh, but yeah, I I think I think it'd be silly to not try to get Meryl Streep into a Star Wars movie. I mean, like she 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 is the best. And I put out that a little poll on Twitter. And obviously people had had a, a blast with it, and I, I think I got ratioed. But it's like, come on. When people ask you who the best actor is, you know, the impulse is to say Daniel Day-Lewis. I might say De Niro, Pacino, somebody like that, maybe Nicholson, Hanks. Uh, but when they say who is the best actress ever, you kind of got to go Meryl Streep. I mean, unless you're... A lot older than me and want to say Catherine Hepburn or, or Elizabeth Taylor or something like that. But, like, when people are throwing out Kate Winslet and, and Anne Hathaway, like, listen, they're great actresses. And they may very well be the greatest actress in the world one day. But as long as Meryl Streep is living and breathing, I don't really see how you can take that title away from her. So that, that was certainly what I was getting at. And I'm surprised how many people, uh, they, just love, they just love mixing it up with me online, I'm telling you. <laughs> this week, guys, we're going to get into some of those stories. But, uh, but yeah, Spider-Man and Star Wars, Kevin Feige's fingerprints just all over the news this week. I'm glad that uh, he, it seems like he's just the big winner. <laughs> you know, he, he, he got Spider-Man back in the MCU this week, plus he got his own Star Wars movie. Kevin Feige is just living the life. He's living his best life. He's living the life that we all want to live. On the other side of town. Cross town over at Warner Brothers. Monday. It was a quiet day. <laughs> it was a quiet day. I decided to take a shower around 2.30 in the afternoon. I get out of the shower around 2.45, and all hell has broken loose. It was Batman Day. First, we got a report out of the Hollywood Reporter that Jeffrey Wright is in talks to play Commissioner Gordon. Which is, you know, I sort of alluded to that uh, on on the podcast. I think I said that on here that I'd heard Mahershala Ali was potentially up for the Commissioner Gordon role. So I, clearly Matt Reeves, you know, wanted to take that uh, character in another direction. Um, Mahershala didn't work out because of Blade. Although I'd also heard Mahershala potentially as Riddler. I, I've been hearing multiple things from different sources on that. But um, that, that, that was back in the day. The Blade thing changed everything. Matt Reeves had to had to go in a different direction. Then, right on top of that, Deadline comes out with this story about Jonah Hill being in talks to play a villain, an unspecified villain in the Batman. And I guess Variety followed up a few minutes later, and they added the fact that Jonah Hill wants $10 million and that it's undecided who he's going to play at the moment, the Riddler or the Penguin. Then I got contacted by a source who pretty much insisted it's going to be Riddler. And then I got more information later that night. That indicated other stuff. So 
here's where things kind of stand as far as I know. Jonah has had this offer to be a villain for a month, right? Another actor had an offer, or what I believe was an offer, whether it was a a formal paper offer or an informal uh, discussion sort of thing, to play the Penguin. And that actor passed because Jonah was being offered more money. That's what I understand because Jonah has two Oscar nominations. He has opened uh, movies. He has that hit Jump Street franchise. Uh, he got, you know, Superbad was a $100 million movie. And this other actor, you know, he's been in a, a big franchise, sure. But I don't know that he's necessarily opened things on his own. Um, and so I don't think he was offered as, as much money as Jonah Hill. And nor do I think the part is, is, is as big. Um, you know, for, for I think the Riddler is a much bigger part than the Penguin. And so the actor passed. And then Jonah was like, well, wait a second. If you don't have anybody to play Penguin, can I play the Penguin? So I think that's where we are right now. Is, is that is that is the standoff that Matt Reeves wanted to cast Jonah Hill, and, and Jonah Hill is in talks, like the news that he's in talks to play a villain. He is in talks to play the Riddler. However, apparently he wants to play the Penguin. Now, does Matt – there's a couple of different outcomes here. I mean, does Matt Reeves give in? And say, all right, Jonah, listen, I just want you in this movie. I'll do whatever it is. If you want to play the Penguin instead of Riddler, sure, you can play the Penguin. Maybe they set the Penguin up for a bigger role in the sequel. I mean, again, this is supposed to be Matt Reeves' a, a trilogy with Robert Pattinson. So, you know, I, I don't know how that all shakes out. Maybe Jonah says, or Matt's like, listen, no, I want you to play the Riddler. I got somebody else in mind for Penguin, or I'm, I'm taking the Penguin in, in a different kind of direction. Are you, are you in or you're out? Uh, I think then it just comes down to money, and I think, you know, as I said on Twitter, I think you got to pay Jonah Hill his money. I just don't understand, like, if Matt Reeves has already missed out on Mahershala Ali, who was his first choice uh, for, for some role, whether it was Gordon or the Riddler, like, get this guy the cast he wants. Especially, you know, Kroll also mentioned that Jonah Hill wants $10 million, which is more than twice what Robert Pattinson's making. So if you're paying Robert Pattinson under $5 million for this, right? Then there should be money left. I mean, it's the Batman. It's going to make money. Pay Jonah Hill. You need, like, he's a great actor. He, he's, he's a young guy. I think he, he, he's, like, respected by older audiences, and yet young, younger audiences uh, appreciate his stuff as well, you know, just from his comedies. Anecdotally, I'd always heard that Jonah Hill really looked up to and admired Jim Carrey in his career and the way that he went about it, how he started out doing Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber, the same way Jonah started doing, you know, uh, Bad and, and Get Him to the Greek and, and those kinds of comedies, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, whatever. And then, he, you know, his career took a more dramatic turn. Jim Carrey does Eternal Sunshine and Truman Show and The Majestic, and Jonah Hill obviously gets two nominations for Moneyball for Wolf of Wall Street. So... He may, you know, he may decide to pay to play Riddler as an homage to Jim Carrey. He may also feel that that uh, the Penguin those are pretty big shoes to fill. Like that's the thing: if you play the Penguin and you're not as good as Danny DeVito, which odds are, you know, kind of unlikely, they're not in your favor. Then people come out of the theater and they say, "Yeah, you know, that was a good movie, but I don't know. I thought I thought Danny DeVito made a better Penguin than Jonah Hill. Like I'm just that is, and Jonah Hill could be an incredible." Penguin. He could be the Heath Ledger of Penguins and get an Oscar for it. I don't know. But I just, I don't, that's a lot of pressure. 
And the Riddler is a character, as good as Jim Carrey was in Batman Forever, I would like to see the Riddler brought back to the screen a little bit more than the Penguin. I think that there's more that you can do with the Riddler, more directions you can take that character. I think Jonah Hill could really put his stamp on it and just he's different. Uh, And I I like how Batman kind of underestimates the Riddler uh, and how he's a cerebral villain and... I don't know. I, I I hope that that works out. But from yeah, from what I am told by sources, Jonah is currently in talks to play the Riddler. Wants to see what happens with this Penguin role, and I don't you know maybe it is the chemistry. Maybe it is well if we have you know Jonah as, as you know the Riddler, then who do I get as the Penguin? And that needs to feel cohesive to Matt Reeves. And maybe he's like, all right, well this it doesn't work. But if I put Jonah as Penguin, then maybe I could get somebody else. You know, I don't know. But again. I, I'm re- I'm repeating myself. I'm I'm beating a dead horse here. I just don't understand why it would take a month. Like if Jonah Hill has had the offer for a month, right? Which is what Kroll said. Why is Boris at Hollywood Reporter? Why are they so insistent that they can't decide what role he's going to play? Like, does it take that long? I feel like that's like a week back and forth, not like a month. Like I wake up on Monday, I think I'm going to play the Riddler, and then like Thursday is like, mm, you know what, Penguin. I just don't see it going like that. I think that Jonah Hill is a little bit further down the road for Riddler than people are willing to admit, and I think that the trades are a little bit they're they're being you know cautious with Warner Brothers, they're being respectful of that relationship. If Warner Brothers maybe says, "All right, listen, you can go with Jonah, but just keep the role out of it," maybe that's how it went down. I don't know. Um, but a great start, Jeffrey Wright. Love him. Love his empathy as an actor. I thought he was really good in The Goldfinch, even though that movie was a uh, you know, unfairly maligned a, little, uh, a bit, a bit, fairly and unfairly. But he's great. People know him, too, from, like, Westworld, uh, from from plenty of other stuff. So I think that he will make a great Commissioner Gordon. And now all the eyes sort of turn to Selena Kyle and that Catwoman role. That's a big one. And, and there may be some other interesting um, casting news coming, you know, for this whole rogues gallery of villains. We still don't know who's going to play Alfred. There were whispers of Giancarlo Esposito, but I don't know if that was for the Commissioner Gordon role or for the Alfred role. Do, are people, would people get upset if they cast a black actor as a butler? You know, a, tra- a traditionally white role in the comics? Like, I, I, I would hope not, but I think that somebody called me a racist on, on YouTube once for suggesting such a thing. So, I, again, it's just uh, it's, it's a little bit early days on, on the other stuff. I would imagine that an international actor is going to play one of the villains. That, that's just a hunch. Like uh, somebody somebody foreign. Maybe, maybe whether it's a French actor, maybe like a Korean actor. I don't know. But I, I, I'm sensing a curveball on one of these roles. Um <laughs> Of course, unfortunately, as all this Batman madness was was coming out and everybody was just sort of dumping their notebooks, Amblin announced some Kevin Klein's Gorney Weaver drama called The Good House. They don't call it The Good Timing, folks. It's The Good House, not The Good Timing, because, man, that announcement just got lost into the vortex. Um, all right. What else we got? Let's talk Sony. There's a lot of Sony stuff going on. In addition to to striking a deal... For for Spider Man and all that stuff with Disney, they are developing a Madam Web movie with the Morbius scribes Burke Sharpless and Matt Sazama. Don't know who is going to produce this one. I would imagine it's going to be Avi Arad and Matt Tolmac, who, who handled Morbius, who handled Venom. Um, I don't know that Amy Pascal would necessarily be in, uh, involved in this one. 
But uh, Madam Web, it seemed like an interesting character when I did a little bit of research. You know, she's typically depicted as a blind elderly woman. Uh, I, I spoke to Koi Janro. He sort of described her as like the Oracle from the Matrix. Like she holds the key to the to the multiverse and she can see into all the different universes and stuff. And, and maybe that's where they decide to, to take this. Of course, you know, it wouldn't be Twitter and the Internet if people didn't jump down my throat and say, well, there's another Madam Web and she's a lot younger and she's not paralyzed. Or I don't even know. It's like, I don't know, guys, you know, that is I got to leave something for the aggregators to talk about. I can't just like I'm in a rush. This is news. The news is that the writers have been hired to develop a movie for a studio. I don't need to take you through the whole fucking backstory of Madam Web. So pardon my language. <laughs> but like get life. You know, read that shit on comicbook.com. Um, do I think it's a good idea for a movie? I would personally like to see an older superhero type of movie. You know, I'm sick of just the same 25 to 35 year old actors being cast in everything. But uh, no, doesn't seem like a great idea for Sony. Seems like kind of scraping the barrel. I, I, I just, I'm not interested in any of these side characters. Morbius feels like it'll be probably garbage. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Venom wasn't very good. I didn't think it was as bad as a lot of people thought, but I didn't think it was very good. Hopefully Andy Serkis finds a way to turn around that sequel, which also added Hutch Parker this week. Hutch Parker's a guy I like. I like Hutch Parker. He takes my calls. He's uh, respectful. I, you know, I, I dig the guy, but he has a mixed track record. And that's sort of why I think all the reporters were interested, because trust me, yeah, it's Venom 2, but I didn't really give a shit that, you know, Hutch Parker is going to be the fourth producer on Venom 2. I did the story, this is just, you know, me being honest, because I knew people would be upset. I knew that it would cause fan outrage, unfairly or not. Again, Hutch Parker produced Logan, which to me is like one of three or four comic book masterpieces. Logan is excellent. He also produced Patriot's Day, Peter Berg's Boston Marathon bombing movie. That was on my top ten list. Same with Logan. So you guys got two movies in my top ten list really over the last like two or three or four years. On the other hand, he's done horrific X-Men movies, X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, you know, I, I liked Dark Phoenix a little bit more than most, but Dark Phoenix was not well-received. Uh, Fantastic Four, like, people were quick to jump on this. Like, why is Tom Rothman just getting the guy who who made all these bad movies for him at Fox? Like, what what is going on in this town where people sort of fail upwards? Not that, you know, Hutch Parker is a failure by any means, but, like, these movies didn't work. Can we not find any other producers, experienced producers, who could who could make this movie? It's, again, I know he's 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 Tom Rothman's. He's trusted, and he and he he is a pro. He, he is a veteran who does have experience. I'm sure that does come in handy. I'm sure it's valuable. And I don't know, I don't know how involved Amy Pascal is going to be in, in Venom too. Like especially now that she's you know developing this third Spider-Man movie, she's got to deal over at Universal. Like how much time can these people have it's got to just be like a contractual thing right he's probably got to be that that third producer working with arad uh and tolmac which means it's it's basically hutch and tolmac making this movie right um no casting yet on venom 2 (laughs) 
more Sony stuff. They hired Travis Knight to direct Uncharted. This is a great hire. This is sort of what I had said. I, I predicted this would happen almost as soon as the job opened up when Dan Trachtenberg dropped out. Uh, Sony had just interviewed all these directors for Venom 2. Andy Serkis beat out Travis Knight and Rupert White for that job. But Travis Knight always seemed better suited for something that skewed a little bit younger, like Uncharted. Today, the news comes out, uh, you know, right alongside the Tom Hardy, or the, the, sorry, the Tom Holland uh, Spider-Man 3 stuff. So lots going on at Sony. Man, uh, Sp- Spider-Man, Morbius, Venom 2 stuff, Uncharted. It's good to see them making moves again. Whew. And that was just like the comic book stuff. Universal, ha- you know, Universal's biggest franchise, if it's not Fast and Furious, it's Jurassic World, right? It's the Jurassic stuff. They had their own announcement this week <laughs> at the Collider screening hosted by Frosty. Uh, Colin Trevorrow was there and dropped a bomb at the end of the Q&A that Laura Dern, Sam Neill, and Jeff Goldblum are all coming back in sizable roles. These will not be Jeff Goldblum being questioned uh, by at an inquest you know, like for for at the for a minute or two at the beginning and the end of the movie, these guys are going to have sizable roles. That is very exciting to me as as a huge fan of the original Jurassic Park. I mean, does it feel a little a little desperate? Yeah, yeah, it does. I don't know that I needed the the further adventures of Doctor Ellie Saller or Doctor Alan Grant, but if they're going to go the whole nostalgia route, sure, whatever. Let's just hope that they come up with like a, a story deserving of these characters because story is really where the Jurassic franchise has been hurting. But it was just really cool to see Laura Dern come out at the screening and uh, yeah, to, ha- to have Colin and Universal even pick Collider to, to announce that kind of thing. Cause that, that is a big deal and that franchise and those characters mean a lot to a lot of people. Um, let's talk about the Wills. Will Smith. Will Smith, he wants to be taken seriously. He is ready. He doesn't want to be a joke no more. He's heard all your bright bright jokes. He's seen all the bright memes. <laughs> he is going back to Netflix. But uh, no word on Bright 2. No, this is for a different movie. It's a crime movie called The Council. He's going to play the n- notorious, infamous New York City crime boss, Nicky Barnes, who was played by Cuba Gooding Jr. in American Gangster. Peter Landisman, who directed uh, Concussion, is going to be writing the script. There is no director attached yet, and hopefully they go in a different direction than Peter, than Peter Landisman because I think that they could find somebody a little bit cooler uh, for this. This is a, a really juicy story. I read some interviews with, with Nicky Barnes, who kind of – he was like a – King shit, you know? He he was like Frank Lucas, who, who was played by Denzel in American Gangster. He was sort of on that level in New York, and, you know, you, you get older, you lose power. You, you just, you're lucky you don't get snuffed out by the competition. You're lucky to be alive. And, you know, the guy was like in his 60s or 70s working at a Walmart or, or Kmart or something like that. I don't know what it was. Pretty fascinating, though. Like, Imagine like that the guy helping you out at Walmart used to be like one of the most ruthless motherfuckers in New York City. I love that Will Smith is opening himself up to this, taking on a role that's a little bit darker. I never thought I'd see the Fresh Prince pushing drugs on on Netflix, but here we are. Again, Will Smith, he uh I keep saying again. I don't like that segue. I got to got to work on that, folks. Will Smith turned down the chance to play Django for for uh Quentin Tarantino. He thought it would sort of tarnish his family-friendly image. This isn't going to do that any favors, but it's about goddamn time Will Smith gets his hands dirty. 
And I'm not counting. I'm not talking about uh, Gemini Man because man, those reviews have not been great. The initial wave really praised like the 3D and. You know, I know that feeling when the studio's like, hey, we want you to be the first audience to see this movie. We're going to have Ang Lee there afterwards. Like, it's just going to be a great day. And you go in in a good mood and maybe a little bit more forgiving than you should be. These reviews that have come out more recently have, you know, really taken this movie to task. They say that they, even the, the DH Will Smith does not look very good. I don't think that the movie looks good. I, I, like, the story looks just so generic. Like, what is the point of trying a technological uh, innovation like this on on a story that just looks this mediocre? So not really looking to, to, forward to, Gem, to Gemini Man. <sighs> Man, I'm just, uh, you know, Gemini Man is one of these movies... It's not an award season title by by any means, really, but uh, it is the time of year when publicists do these these cat and mouse games, these hide and seek games with these movies. Where oh, we don't even know what you're talking about with screenings. This movie's not screening for weeks or months. I'm like, but I know someone who's going to see it this week. Like I know there's a screening tonight, bro. These publicists, it's like they don't understand. I find out huge movie scoops. I find out the, the, some of the, the t- toughest stuff to find out. You don't think I can find out about your fucking screening five blocks from my house in Beverly Hills? Who do these people? are these people? You should see, guys, you should. I wish I could call these people out by name. You should see the emails that I get. This, this is for long lead feature writers. And, uh, yeah, we, we can't have anybody uh, there. Like, I know who's going. These people don't write long lead features. So frustrating. And you know what? I'm not going to hold my tongue on Twitter. I mean, I'm going out with a bang. I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I don't anticipate being on Twitter too much longer, folks. But believe me, I'm going to make these last uh, couple thousand tweets count. Speaking of Wills, moving from Will Smith to Will Ferrell, him and Ryan Reynolds are teaming up on a Christmas Carol movie from Anders and Morris, the Daddy's Home Filmmakers. This is actually a fun pairing on paper, Will Ferrell and, and Ryan Reynolds. I, I, I like that. There's potential there. As far as a Christmas, Christmas Carol girl, Jesus, I can't talk. As far as a Christmas Carol goes, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm a nice Jewish boy, and uh, but I like Christmas movies as much as the next guy. I like Home Alone and Christmas Vacation. A Christmas Carol is boring. Uh, I've seen it done to death. Uh, I don't need the Daddy's Home guys and their their take on this. I don't know who is playing Scrooge, if it's Will Ferrell or Ryan Reynolds. I imagine it would be... I don't know. I don't know who I could actually see. I could see them both. Um, I don't know who the other one would play. But again, I just don't care. Like, Can we find something else for these guys to do together? A Christmas carol? I guess this one's going to be a musical. Again, it does nothing for me. A Christmas Carol musical with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. No, I'm sorry. No. Jason Bateman, directing and starring in a Clue remake with Ryan Reynolds. Another Ryan Reynolds movie. Again, a fun pairing on paper. Jason Bateman, Ryan Reynolds. I like that. (laughs) However, why would Jason Bateman want to do this after doing Game Night? It's like the same fucking thing. I, you just won an Emmy for for directing, for beating all these Game of Thrones guys, and you want to remake Clue? That's what you're putting the cloud into? God. 
Another another remake. I'm not a big fan of the original Clue. I know. Blasphemy. So I'm actually looking forward to this. I love murder mysteries. I think that they're making a comeback uh, with Knives Out. Hopefully that will popularize the little subgenre again. And Ryan Reynolds... Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman in a Clue movie is great. I just don't need Jason Bateman directing it. Yeah. Um, speaking of Emmy winners, Jodie Comer doing The Last Duel. This is one I caught a ton of shit for on Twitter for tweeting the facts of the story. I'm sorry that you don't like the premise of the movie. All I'm doing is reporting on it. Don't shoot the messenger. You don't like the premise. Tell the, tell the filmmakers. Don't go see the movie. Don't yell at me because I didn't press the perfectly word this tweet button. You know, I'm sorry that I forgot to press that before tweeting, guys. Jodie Comer, we don't, I don't know anything about this movie besides about a guy, his best friend, and the best friend rapes the guy's wife. So to me, she's the wife who gets raped. I don't know anything about the character. I don't know whether she's you know, full of complexities and she, she dreams of, of painting. And, and I don't know any of this stuff, and neither do you. I'm sure that there is more to the character, but all we know right now is that she's the wife who gets raped. That is the function in the script. Nobody believes her. And so when her husband comes back from war, he wants to avenge this terrible crime, and he challenges the best friend, the former best friend, to a duel. I think this whole project is problematic. I don't like that the fact that Ridley Scott's doing it. I don't think he's the kind of guy to find the nuance in in this kind of story. I know that Nicole Holofcener wrote this, co-wrote the script, and I think she's amazing. She's a fantastic filmmaker. But no. I, Matt Dam- I don't want to see Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in this kind of thing. If this was like Tom Hardy and Michael Fassbender, it would be different. But these guys are like America's sweethearts. I don't want to see Matt Damon raping anybody. I could, I'd be a little bit more comfortable watching Ben Affleck, I suppose. But like, why would Ben Affleck subjecting himself to that at this point in his career when he, like, he's not on firm footing right now? I don't think. Like the. Meanwhile, Jodie Comer, like, she just won an Emmy, so she can do whatever she wants. And if this is what she wants to do, then more power to her. Like, she's a big girl. She can make her own choices. She has earned that much. But personally, as someone who really likes Killing Eve, I like seeing her in that position of strength. And I want to see her avenge, you know, if somebody does something bad to her, I want to see her avenge it herself. And, and I'm not saying, like, I, that that her playing a rape victim, that the rape victim is weak because she needs her husband to fight her battles for her. That, that's absurd. I mean, that's just how it was back in the day. And, and clearly she she goes, you know, she, she, it's not like she doesn't report the crime or anything like that. I mean, she tries to really, you know, get this guy in trouble and nobody believes her. And and, and, that, and so that is sort of what's interesting to me. I, like I said, last week I reviewed Unbelievable. It was fantastic. I love its treatment of sexual assault victims and how sensitive it was. I just don't get that from this project. I don't think Ridley Scott is going to show that level of sensitivity. I don't know why she would want to stick herself in the middle of a Matt and Ben movie before anything or, and in the middle of like a rape revenge movie. It just – it's a tough genre. It's one thing when Jennifer Kent does it, you know, uh, and that, believe me, that's a tough movie to watch, The Nightingale. But yeah, uh, I'm sorry. 
I, but uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't appreciate people on Twitter being like, oh, this tweet's problematic. It's, you know. I'm like, guys, I'm just telling you what this movie's about. To, to just say Jodie Comer joins Matt Damon, Ben Affleck in The Last Duel, that doesn't say anything about the nature of the role, the context of the part. Like, like in order to even feel informed about the project and what's going on, you would need to know the role and what and what happens to the wife because that sets in ch- the, the whole plot in motion. Um, anyways, didn't like it for her. I, I thought she'd have a ton of other choices. I don't know why this is the one that she made, but whatever. What else do we got? Nicolas Cage and Alex Wolf doing this indie movie, uh, Pig. It's about a truffle hunter. I don't know. It seems interesting. My friend Vanessa Block wrote it, so I'm very happy for her. Uh, the fact that she's working with Nicolas Cage is very cool. And I really like Alex Wolf. He's a, he's a good young actor. Um, truffle hunting. I, don't, I just don't know if this is going to be like John Wick, but like Nicolas Cage going crazy because some guys stole his, his prized truffle hunting pig. Or if this is going to be a little bit more meditative and quiet. Uh, like like a David Gordon Green, Nicolas Cage movie or something like that. Uh, James Wan's new movie is called Malignant. S- uh, insidious, sinister, malignant. They're all the same fucking thing. They're all the same fucking title. Not a fan. Ryan Murphy, Hollywood. Cast a whole bunch of people, including Jeremy Pope. Deadline claimed that as a big exclusive. Woo, exclusive. 23 days old. I posted it on September 3rd. Uh, so yeah, it's like, guys, I am constantly crediting Deadline all day long, every day. I don't think that there's one day that I don't write Deadline on Collider.com and they can't be bothered to, to, you know, to give us credit. I think that they did end up taking down that exclusive tag eventually after being shamed online, but man, Deadline is just such a bully, such a bully. They got a punch down. That's all right. I'm a big boy. I can take it. Jeremy Pope, though, that is pretty cool news. He was like the toast of Broadway this past year. So getting the lead in a in a big Ryan Murphy Netflix series is pretty cool. Uh, he's going to executive produce as well, along with Darren Chris, David Corn, Sweat. I'm telling you, all these young guys, these, if you're a good-looking young guy in a Ryan Murphy series, you're getting an executive producer credit. He's handing them out like candy. Is everybody getting one? Jesus. Uh, Richard Jewell, they finally have announced, Warner Brothers has finally announced that Richard Jewell from Clint Eastwood is going to be coming out on December 13th. That is the same day that Amazon will release Seaberg, starring Kristen Seward as Gene Seaberg. That's the movie, uh, that's definitely the kind of movie all the kids, all of her fans want to see her in. God. Who, who chooses this material? Richard Jewell, I think, is going to be awesome. I think that's just a, an incredible story. Uh, I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan. Pumped to see Paul Walter Hauser as the lead in the Clint Eastwood movie. That sounds so awesome. I think it co-stars John Hamm and Olivia Wilde. Uh, again, 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 again. Not again, because I haven't said it before. Richard Jewell is about the uh, security guard at the at Atlanta's Olympic Park who... Alerted everybody to a bomb and and saved a ton of lives in the process. And then the media was like, well, maybe he was the bomber himself. People, you know, he was villainized falsely. Turns out he had nothing to do with it. This guy's poor life was basically torn apart by fake news. I think it's going to be a very timely, prescient sort of uh, movie to be making in this day and age. Clint Eastwood working super fast. My God, this just started shooting this summer. 
Um, God, there's so much more. How about the Irishman? That started screening for the press. I was not invited. Why would I be? Um, reviews have been largely positive. They say it's epic. It's funnier than you think. The 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 performances are great. It sounds like Pacino and Pesci kind of overshadowed De Niro a little bit, honestly, from what I gather on Twitter. The three and a half running time, it sounds like it blows by. I don't think anybody is getting bored in their seats on that one. I didn't, although Jane Rosenthal, the producer, called it boring, or she called it slow. She also said it's about toxic masculinity. Now, let me ask you, this project has been in the works for like 10 years. Was it about toxic masculinity 10 years ago? I just, I hate that sort of shit. Like, that's it. That's this, like, new term that's now being applied to the story that has, you know, <laughs> this script has been around for ages. Suddenly, it's about toxic masculinity. Oh, fucking Christ. <laughs> Speaking of Christ, <laughs> the Little Mermaid is testing some, some guys named Cameron Cuff and Jonah Howard King for the role of Prince Eric. Holy downgrade, Batman. That is a big drop-off from Harry Styles. I don't know who either one of these actors are. Good luck to him. Good luck to Disney and the Little Mermaid. Uh, Tom Hanks is getting the Cecil Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes. Sure, why not? I mean, he's he's Hollywood's grandpa, you know? Everybody loves Tom Hanks. The only question is, who are they going to get to present him with his award? I saw one fun poll asking, should it be Steven Spielberg? Should it be Julia Roberts? Should it be Meg Ryan? That would be interesting. Uh, It'd be cool to see Meg Ryan again. (laughs) I don't know what she's looking like these days. I voted for Spielberg, though. I mean, that that is a special connection, Uh, not just, you know, some some tossed-off rom-coms back in the day. Whew. David Kep coming back to write Indiana Jones 5. I guess he was on it, then he was off it, now he's back on it. Don't give a shit. Uh, Indiana Jones 5, I didn't see 4. I don't care. I don't care who they cast as Indiana Jones. Unless they cast Bradley Cooper, then I'm interested. Uh, and and by the way, I am hoping that Bradley Cooper <laughs> plays the villain in Mission Impossible 7. I totally made up that rumor for the rumor mill this week. But uh, the more I think about it, the more I like it. Um, man, God, there's so much shit this week. This, this could be a three-hour podcast. Phoebe Waller-Bridge signed a $20 million overall deal at Amazon, hot off her Fleabag win. She had she confirmed multiple times, no more Fleabag is coming. And then, of course, the next day you get that article saying, Amazon's Jen Salki wants more Fleabag. <sighs> and listen, we just paid you $20 million. Who cares what you want? We want more Fleabag. Um, well, she, she is in demand. Apparently, Bond 26. The producers want her back to write that movie. That'll introduce a new James Bond as uh, this is supposed to be Daniel Craig's last ride in the tux. Seeing a lot of uh, you know pictures of Lashana Lynch, who's, who's, I think, probably going to be the next 007. Not the next James Bond, but the next 007, it's, it, it seems like, from, the spec- from all the speculation out there. Osgood Perkins... Writing and directing Incident at Fort Bragg for Lionsgate. I didn't see the Black Coat's Daughter, and I didn't see the thing that the pretty thing that lives in the house. So it's like I'm not that familiar with with Osgood Perkins's work. However, I know he's like a, a rising star in the genre community. I think this story sounds pretty cool. It's like about the government bringing in a priest to uh, to do an exorcism on a military base. 
like a soldier is is possessed. That is a different, unique kind of twist on an exorcism movie. And yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. That sounds like you know Lionsgate could have you know itself another like last exorcism type hit. I didn't see that movie. It looked like trash, but uh, it it did open well. Um, elsewhere, Chloe Acuno got uh, hired to direct Bodies, Bodies, Bodies for A24. That's like a I wasn't going to say standard cabin in the woods movie. It is that, but it plays with I don't know certain tropes of the genre, and it's said to be very subversive. She is the uh, filmmaker behind the short film Slut. Uh, more genre content from A24, always appreciated. And Julius Avery directing the Sly Stallone movie Samaritan. Julius Avery did Overlord and uh, Son of a Gun, uh, which was also at A24. I really like Son of a Gun um, for a little movie that you rent on VOD. Samaritan, I, I dig the premise for this one. I'm pretty sure it'll be like Stallone. He's going to be playing the superhero who... I think he, you know, failed to save somebody's life, and so he, he disappears. He goes off the grid. And he feels terrible about it, and then twenty years later, some young boy is sort of out to prove his existence, or you know, so, something to that effect. It's a, it's a, it's a. I think it's a great premise, and I think Julius Avery is a really strong director. Um, you know, it's all about which Stallone are we going to get? Are we going to get the Stallone who just kind of grumbles his way through, you know, action movies? Or are we going to get? thoughtful, introspective Stallone, kind of like in Creed, who, you know, deserved the Oscar, I thought. Uh, Elsewhere, ooh, in industry news, WME pulled its IPO. Wow. That is a bad look. It does not, I'm telling you, all the agencies, it's not just WME's problem, this is all the agencies' problem, because they were all planning to go down this this route. They all wanted to go public and, and have people buy shares in the in the, in the company and all that shit and it's like i don't really know that the business lends itself to that it's it's like a lot of analysts said like at any moment let's say the rock you know who's repped at wme i believe uh at any minute the rock could just be like you know what you guys are fired our, our relationship's over i'm going over to ca and that is a huge piece of business that goes out the door so i don't know that i would necessarily invest in WME's IPO and clearly no nobody else did because even before they pulled it it went down from like you know low 30s to mid 30 dollars something like that to mid 20s like they just knew people weren't going to pay up that much for for shares and Ari Emanuel and uh, and Patrick Weissel were concerned that the company was going to be undervalued so they just decided to pull it the day before it was about to go public um i think that this it also shows that like Wall Street isn't is not so hot on companies with like conflicts in business you know conflicted business practices essentially which is what the whole wga strike is about you know packaging and uh you know affiliate production where you know endeavor or wme is basically selling its clients stuff to itself to endeavor content and it's like, you know, I don't know that you can just do away with all these things completely, but, you know, certain concessions are going to have to be made. Major, you know, revenues, a lot of revenue sharing with writers. But, yeah, the IPO, I think it really shows that agencies need writers. They they need to get back to the table. This has gone on for just so long. And I know how many writers are probably still working with their agents in some capacity. But working with them doesn't mean that they're paying them. And, and that's really the difference. It's like, are they giving up? Are they paying people out of pocket 
on the side. I think agents are you know willing to do the work on the side, but they're you know they want to make sure that that they're going to be compensated for it because uh, yeah I don't think I don't think agents are too keen on undoing work and not getting uh, <laughs> paid for it. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens with the WME IPO. It could resurface in a few months, but this certainly has to be a blow for our, for everybody inside that agency. Um, speaking of of blows. Comscore is a fucking fraud. People got jobs or lost jobs based on Comscore numbers. Decisions were made about content. And now we're learning that sites that didn't pay Comscore, Comscore made it look like your site was failing. Like, basically, reality as we know it is is fake. It's fucking bullshit. You can't even trust metrics. Who knows if Nielsen ratings are, are legitimate? I mean... Comscore, they were inflating numbers. Are you shitting me? Do you know how many decisions, how much money, you know, those numbers influence? It's disgusting. I I think if they got off paying a $5 million fine, these people should be fucking locked up in jail for a decade. uh, The whole world is so fucked. Meanwhile, (laughs) back in Hollywood, a lot of TV news. Space Force, this new Greg Daniels workplace show. I have been looking forward to this one for a while. I was tracking uh, John Malkovich for weeks, and then they just announced the entire cast yesterday. Malkovich is a part of it. He joined Steve Carell. Ben Schwartz is in it. Uh, Jimmy O. Yang from Silicon Valley. And Diana Silvers, Clyder's former up-and-comer of the month. Uh, That's exciting because I know that she's just a gigantic Office fan. She's an Office super fan, so the fact that she's going to be playing Steve Carell's daughter on that show has to be... That's just like put her on cloud nine. Uh, elsewhere, we got Andrew Scott cast as the talented Mr. Ripley in a new Ripley series from Steve Zalian on Showtime. Steve Zalian uh, coming off the night of, which was an incredible HBO series. I don't know how HBO lets Steve Zalian go to Showtime. How do you not get this guy's next show? Um, either way, this is based on the Highsmith novels. It's not going to be like a reboot or a remake of of the features that we've all seen, which you know pretty much everybody's just seen the Matt Damon movie. I don't know anyone who's seen the Malkovich film or the Barry Pepper one. Uh, Andrew Scott, I haven't seen Fleabag where, where he plays the hot priest. I, I didn't watch Sherlock. Maybe I watched one episode, but I don't think Moriarty was in that one. Those are the two shows that he's really known for. He's obviously in Bond. He's got 1917 coming out, and that could be that could be a best picture surprise. Who knows? But I don't need to see any of that stuff to to know that this guy's going to make a perfect Tom Ripley. Like he just has that look where he can be very charming uh, on on one hand, but he has a dark side. So just on looks alone, I love this casting, and and this could be a, proved to be a big show for Showtime. You know, the, the Highsmith books, they have their fans. Vince Vaughn signed on to do a Hulu series, The Binge, with my boy, with my boy Skylar Gisondo. This is a brilliant fucking premise, guys. So you guys know uh, Binge and Purge, right? That's a, that's a phrase, Binge and Purge. So The Binge is like a comedic riff on The Purge set in a future where drugs and alcohol are legal except for one day. Binge day when everything when you can just go nuts. You can do all the drugs and drink all the booze that you want. That sounds like a blast. I would absolutely watch that series, especially with Vince Vaughn. I don't know if he what he, what role he's going to play. Whether he plays uh, 
the local bartender uh, or the lake, local sheriff who's just trying to like keep order in his town. Who knows? But I, I just love the whole series. It's coming from uh, American High, Jeremy uh, Gorelick's company. Um, uh, speaking of Hulu, Ghost Rider is dead over there. Don't care. Don't watch any of these. Not like I, I watched, you know, Daredevil and uh, a couple. What else? I watched Luke Cage. I watched Jessica Jones and The Punisher. But yeah, all these like Agents of Shield and Ghost Rider. Some of these, some of these like ABC series. I'm not interested. I, I need my superheroes to have an edge, especially after The Boys rocked my world. So yeah, I could not care less about uh, Ghost Rider not moving forward. Hulu, don't care about Walker, Texas Rangers. Some people do. Jared Padalecki, this guy could walk in the office right now. I would have no idea who he was. I know he's on Supernatural. I know the name. I'm sorry if I'm being disrespectful. It just seems like a, a very generic CBS-friendly choice. Like, who watches this stuff? I don't know how people it's people who don't know that there's better options out there that's what it is Heidi Gardner and Chris Red were up to, uh, to full time cast members on SNL I dig it I like Heidi Gardner a lot I think she's really funny I like her taking taking the kids to, to my sisters that whole character is, uh, is great um, God what else Dean DeBloy the How to Train Your Dragon guy is doing Micronauts Micronauts movie based on the Hasbro toy line. Perfect. This is a perfect match because I don't watch How to Train Your Dragon, so I don't know this guy's work and thus don't really care what what he's working on or not. And Micronauts is not something that I give a shit about. Like, so, so that's why it's perfect because it's one less project that I have to worry about as a reporter. I don't care. Same thing with Snake Eyes over at Paramount. Like, one of my dear friends had a, a snake eye scoop yesterday, and, and I know they were very excited about it. And it was met with a collective shrug here at Collider HQ. Not because, you know, it wasn't a good scoop. I'm, I'm glad they were happy about it. Uh, but it was an unknown actress cast as some character in, in a snake eyes movie that I am 100% sure will be garbage and I have no intention of going to the press screening for. Oh, what did I see this week? Saw Ad Astra. Holy shit. <laughs> Tweeted about that one uh, late Friday night. Said, you know, <laughs> Brad Pitt's pulse never goes above 80, and neither did mine. The movie, listen, I was really into it for the first half. I love the Space Pirates. I love the opening sequence. I love the baboon attack. I loved, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen that, Astra, stop listening right now. Okay. That that was your uh, that was your chance. Um, the, the, when when Brad Pitt kills the entire crew himself, I fucking loved it. But then that third act is just garbage. James Gray has no idea where to take his story. No idea. I mean, I know what he wants to say because he keeps saying it over and over, uh, and, and and literally like he says it. It's it's telling, not it's it's telling while he's showing. Um, it just didn't move me. I like I am a guy who cries in movies. I could cry I cry at fucking trailers. This did nothing for me emotionally. It was very disappointing. And it's fine to like it. If you if it spoke to you and it touched you or, or you know, I'm susceptible to mother son shit, right? I like the goldfinch more than most people. People were shitting on the goldfinch, but my mom died a couple years ago. And so, you know, I got something out of the goldfinch. Maybe you lost your dad. 
Maybe Ad Astra really spoke to you. That's fine. I get it. I get why people like it. I get why people can even love this movie. But but a masterpiece? A masterpiece? Guys, we are using the word masterpiece too fucking much. This movie is not a masterpiece. It looks gorgeous. But it's, it doesn't say anything new. I didn't think. And I thought that Tommy Lee, the whole, the whole plot with Tommy Lee Jones's character was like, it, it made no sense. Uh, but, yeah, so, of course, everybody jumped down my throat because I, in a very, very clever way, said that if you do think it's a masterpiece, you need to undergo a cycle, uh, excuse me, a psych eval. That's from the movie. The whole fucking movie, the Brad Pitt's getting psych evals. Like, I don't really think you need a psych evaluation. I, re- I don't really think you need to go to the doctor's office and get checked for a mental problem if you think it's a masterpiece. Why do people take everything so fucking literally on Twitter? It is unbelievable. I cannot wait to leave this platform. It's full of the stupidest people on earth. I have no time in my life for stupid people. Speaking of stupid people, people who don't understand that Jojo Rabbit is a satire. Saw this movie this week. It was excellent. It was beautiful. And honestly, I thought I wasn't going to like it. I thought this is like Taika Waititi doing his quirky shtick, you know, to, for the Holocaust, and it's inappropriate. And No, it was perfect. It showed the absurdity of, of Nazism through the eyes of this 10-year-old boy who just wants to belong— has no idea what he's saying, right? And he's saying some horrible, terrible stuff. I want to you know, kill Jews. Jews have horns on their heads. They, they sleep upside down. Like, you know, all the, all the old stereotypes. But it's about how he learns that this is all just bullshit. And, and, you know, there's a lot of young people out there who need to learn these kinds of lessons. And I thought Taika Waititi did an, just a wonderfully humanistic job of, of telling the story. The cast is fantastic. The kid is great. Scarlett Johansson, not in the movie that much, but really delivers when she is on screen. Uh, David Poland, who just launched a, a five-minute podcast every day. He's going to be doing a five-minute podcast. I highly recommend listening. He said she's going to win the Oscar. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I'd go that far. I mean, God, with everybody proclaiming who's going to win the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. Um, but, you know, between this and Marriage Story, she is she's definitely ha- going to have a hell of an award season. Uh, but I do, find, I do think that Jews, like myself, will find it easier to laugh. Other people may be a little bit uncomfortable, you know, laughing at some of these Jewish jokes and, uh, you know, terrible stereotypes and that kind of stuff. But, you know, the Academy is, is a good portion of it is Jewish. I think that they're going to take to this film. I think that it has the stuff to go all the way in a vacuum. Because I haven't seen, you know, most of the other contenders. But I like what I saw at Jojo Rabbit. Saw In the Shadow of the Moon. That's on Netflix today. I liked it. It was an entertaining two hours, you know. Um, Boyd Holbrook was was good. I think it's probably the best thing Jim Mickle has done. It's not a home run or anything, but it's different. A time-traveling serial killer. It was fun. I enjoyed uh, The Death of Dick Long from Dan Shiner, one of the directors of Swiss Army Man. I'm hoping to get him on the podcast. I know I tweeted horrible things about Swiss Army Man. I did apologize. I would love the chance to apologize in person. Death of Dick Long is definitely better than that movie, but it is definitely also a movie made by the same guy who made Swiss Army Man. Like, this is a bizarre film, and I can't get into what makes it bizarre because that would really spoil the surprise and... Uh, that's really what this whole movie is. Uh, but it was very 
it, it was a different kind of world. Um, you know, being being down south, I think it takes place in it's either Arkansas or Alabama. I'm blanking. But uh, a fun little cast, kind of like a, a quirky little Coen Brothers comedy, but uh, but dark, very dark. And I also saw The Golden Glove, which was pitch fucking black. Holy shit. Talk about dark. This was a really fucked up German serial killer movie. It screened at Fantastic Fest. Really committed lead performance. Um, forgetting the, the actor's name. It's Jonas something. But yeah, an, an, an unpleasant movie with not a lot of insight into its main character. It didn't really tell us what made him tick. It kind of just uh, attributed everything to alcohol abuse. And um, so, you know, while it's perversely fascinating, uh, certain scenes, you know, whether he's dismembering bodies or, or strangling someone, bashing in women's heads, like it was there was something lacking. I, I don't you can't put it on, on par with a Henry portrait of, the, of a serial killer or anything like that. We also got uh, trailers for Wounds. Looks a little ring grudgy wannabe. Uh, didn't really spark to it. Uncut Gems looks incredible. That's another one of these movies that they're hiding from me and saying, uh, we don't know when we're screening it. Yeah, I know exactly when you're fucking screening it. Rhythm Section. Uh, the Rhythm Section with Blake Lively. I thought it was a pretty cool trailer. I mean, I know that movie's had some problems, but uh, I dug the Where Did You Sleep Last Night song choice. And then I, I'm staying away from the Irishman and Breaking Bad trailers, guys. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the experience. I don't need everything ahead of time. Like, yeah, you, you sold me. I'm going to see the Irishman. I'm going to see Breaking Bad. Um, anything else, guys? I did tweet about a TV show I'm watching that I thought is really, really good, but I can't discuss it. Let me give you a little decoder lesson right now. Check the capital letters. In that tweet, and you might be able to figure out which show I was talking about. Uh, check out the rumor mill this week. I was on that with uh, Josh McCuga. It was a it was a good time. Roxy brought her A game. Broca brought his G game. Uh, I was on Movie Talk to, this morning with uh, with Roca. We go at it about some of the Spider Man stuff, and David Griffin uh, joins us. Always good to see Griff. R.I.P. to Sid Haig, the star of. House of a Thousand Corpses, Captain Spaulding. Uh, hope you have one last good trip, sir. Um, I think that'll do it for this episode of the Snyder Cut. We've reached our hour mark. Rumor of the week? Yeah, you guys got enough news. You don't need anything else out there. I'll save it maybe for next week. But yeah, that'll do it. Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, make sure to tell your friends to have them subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are found. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Cameo, at, at the Insider. Somebody order a goddamn Cameo from me. I don't have a roommate this month. I'm gonna, i got to pay double rent. I'm going to be broke by the time the next podcast tapes. Uh, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. And I will see you next week for more Snyder Cut. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done switch to a better plan and michael i met with a local licensed insurance agent face to face and done 
go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.